You are listening to the Hello Sport Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Hello Sport Podcast, home of unqualified opinion and unwavering bias. Huge show today, biggest show in our relatively young history, I would say, Edward. Comfortably. Comfortably. Now, our, our guest today... I'll just go through some stats first, and I'll also apologize in advance that these stats are stripped straight from Wikipedia, and if incorrect, we will take it up with them straight to the lawyers. But uh, 168 tests for this great nation, 13,378 runs, average of 51.85 with 41 hundreds, 375 ODIs, Eddie, 13,704 runs, average of 42.03, 30 hundreds. Obviously, captain the country to two World Cups, Ashes victories. The list goes on and on. Believe also took five test wickets, which I felt like I should have known but didn't know. Shocking nonetheless. The one and only, the great Ricky Punt-Up Ponting. Welcome to the show. G'day, guys. Nice to be on. Absolute pleasure to have you, mate. How are you today? You ready to go? I'm ready to go. Um little bit stressed this time of day with all the running around you got to do, picking up kids and getting them to different places and things and whatever. But uh, no, ready to go. Looking forward to having a good chat with you boys. Boys on all things sport and a little bit of wine later on. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, it should be good fun. Mate, so look, we, we will get into the wine. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, we've got a little wine tasting that we've set up as well, Ponting Wines. We're very excited to, to try some. Mm. The first one we will be starting with is going to be the Sav Blanc. That's right. Um, now the first session. Yeah. First session, Sav Blanc, ready to rip and tear. Before we do that though, we, and you may be aware of this stat yourself, Ricky, that you are the greatest, uh, coin tosser of all time based on wins as captain. Are you aware of that? <laughs> Across all points. I thought you were going to leave the first uh, word out of that then. Just call me the greatest tosser of all time. But... <laughs> no, no, <laughs> not yet. We've just Not met yet. We don't want to get you off guard too early. <laughs> But no one, no one could toss a coin like you, Ricky. Uh, 170 wins from 324 tosses, mate. I mean, really impressive stuff. I think around 52.47. Don't quote me on that. Is that percentage? About 52.47%. Success rate. Success rate. Very sharp stuff. So we just wanted to maybe take you on in a coin toss first off, see how we go. If that's, if, if that's all right. Obviously, it's our home ground, so you call. But if you're happy, we're just going to flip a coin Get it going. So it's look. Let everyone know. Ricky was not aware that he was going to be called upon to no. to do this. But if you're comfortable, I'm about to toss for you. What do you reckon? Yeah, I think there were little few little glitches there with the video though as well. So everything froze, and then you were speeding up and going fast forward. So oh. I caught most of it, and I'm okay. happy to take you on in the coin toss. Beautiful. All right, That's all we'll we do that. We're at the mercy of the technology gods. Um, all right, I think we just go, Eddie, don't we? You flick, Ricky. We'll get a call in the air, mate. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. Heads. What's he got? It's a tail. It's a tail, Ricky. It's, it's a tail. Tough. How does that affect his stats? Eddie? Would, you mind that- hold, would, you, would you mind holding it up so I can, we can actually prove that it was a tail without flipping it over? <laughs> can we, can oh, okay. Yeah, it's Maybe an acute look. It's, it is a platypus, Ricky. We hate to do it to um, We are now 100% against Australian captains, Tom and I. Yeah. Your, your percentage goes down only marginally. It's, it's really... You know, it's not, a, it's not a big deal. It's no. not a big deal. Um, but let's get, the, uh, let's get the first session out here. Now, we do have our butler, Dave, um, who's come along to, to make sure that we don't have to lift a finger. Mm. Um, so, Dave, let's get that one going. Can you tell us a little bit about this one, Ricky? I like his attire, Dave. I like your 
Yeah, he's like a top half anyway. Yeah, he's dressed very nicely. He's um. Yeah, the top half's great. He <laughs> forgot um... his pants, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, well, boys, you got the have you got the 2020 or 2021 Sauvignon Blanc? Is that the 2020 or 2021? Um, one it is. We got the 21, Ricky. Yeah, the 21. Yep. So that's the that's Adelaide Hills uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are wine drinkers or not, but and, and if you are, you might not be Sauvignon Blanc drinkers. But this this is um. Been at one wine show already. They actually got got 97 points. It's first ever uh, tasting this particular wine. So um, what we've tried to do with the brand, and you'll see as we go through as well, a bit of a theme going on with a bit of cricket stuff, but also a bit of talking about sort of my upbringing in northern Tasmania, a bit um, you know, meeting my wife and mm. and how our love for wine has sort of grown uh, over the years together. So uh, the first session sort of talks about the first session of a test match and how important I always felt the first session of a test match was quite often um, had a big bearing on the way the, the whole test match actually played out. If you if you won the first session, you quite uh, invariably go on and win the test match. If you had a really poor first session of a test match, you'd invariably go on and lose. So there was always a lot of talk and hype and build up around the, certainly the teams that I played in, making sure we were ready for the first session of every test match that we played. So as sort of the, you know, the Sauvignon Blanc and the introductory wine, if you like. So the first wine in the in the line, basically, we, we thought that that first session name um, was a good one to go with. Uh, I tell you what. It's, it's good. It's good drinking. Now, obviously, you know, we're, we're fair and balanced. And if it wasn't, we'd tell you. But this mm. is actually, this is divine. And we are wine drinkers. We are. We certainly are. And, Tom, as you pointed out, we can't tell lies. It's it's bloody good stuff, punter. Um, it'd go lovely with a nice yeah, bit of white fish, mate. Yeah. How did you? How did you? How did you get into the wine game? Obviously, you said that you and your missus, uh, you know, it was a passion of yours. Was it something you were always planning on doing post career? Was it, or is it just like once you you finished, you just that was when it sort of became an option? Yeah. No. We we never really talking about spoken about this venture up until about two and a half years ago when um when the, one of our business partners now, David Crenish, you guys would know well. Mm. Um, just basically on a phone call one day, he said, well, mate, what do you think about the opportunity for you to you to start your own brand and start your own label? And I said, oh, look, just give me give me a few hours and I'll run it by Rihanna and see what she thinks about it. And, and um, we were both really excited about the opportunity. We, we never worked on our own business type things before. You know, we've got our own charity foundation, which we've worked on together for, you know, 10 or 11 years now, but we hadn't worked on our own business together. So uh, we thought it was a great idea. We're both passionate about wine. Um, we both love the industry. The more we've been involved the last couple of years, we've learned, you know, pretty much on a daily basis. And um, I think the important thing for everyone to understand with this is that this is our business. You know, we're co-founders of the business. We work on the business each and every day. And it's not like we're just sticking a label on a bottle and, and running away and hoping that we that we end up um, owning a successful business. We we want to we're in it for the long haul. Um, and at the end of the day, as I've said to the other business partners involved, um, longevity will be how I will perceive success on the brand. So hopefully one day, even my young bloke that's running around out the back now, now keeping a little bit quiet, it might be a, a business that he might even be interested in running down the track as well. Yeah, nice. And I mean, let's be honest, uh, the the tasting of wines and quality control, uh, a clear upside for this sort of a, a business venture, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, that's why we've um, <laughs> that's why we've employed the people that we have. You know, Ben Ricks, uh, based in McLaren Vale, you know, world renowned as um, for his expertise in the in the industry. And you know, I, you know, I said when we started it off that I'll do this if if we're fully invested and, and we've got the right people involved. I'm not going to ever go in sort of um, 
half cocked if I'm involved in anything. I go in flat out and want to be a, make it as successful as I can. That's the sort of person I am. And um, I guess you even saw that coin toss there. I wasn't even happy to lost that coin no. toss. So <laughs> no. I'm pretty competitive. So I want to make sure I've got uh, some good wine out there in the marketplace. Yeah, I was nervous after we won that toss. I was like, yeah, look, <laughs> part of me wanted you to win it. I'll be honest. I wanted you to win that toss. But again, I'm I'm going to take a W if it's on offer. You got to take the W if it's on offer. You got You have we to have take to. the W. I was going to I was going to ask for the best of three if that's possible. <laughs> I mean, we can give you another opportunity. We can pepper them out throughout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, an Ashes series five tests. If you want to go five tosses, we'd be happy to do <laughs> yeah. that. Well, let's give him one more now. All right, we'll give you one more while we're here. What don't, what, what don't we go? Yeah, we we'll go another one now. Then we'll go another one before each wine. Yeah, perfect. Before each tasting, yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect. We'll take right. us to five. <laughs> okay, here you go. I'm going heads again. Where are we? Tails again. Oh, it's tails. You're 2 0. <laughs> well, yeah, let's move on quickly. What else do you want to talk about? I don't know what that's going to do to your percentage. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm this now behind. I had, a, I had a winning percentage coming in. I'm now behind. All yeah, you're going down. You've got to go, you got to go 0 and 3 now. 3 0 <laughs> yeah. to get the W. Well, it has been done, but I it's mean, it's done. tough. You're on the back foot. Um, we will get to the Ashes in a moment um, where, when we get onto this next wine. But obviously, your nickname, Punter. Oh, there's there's Punter Junior in the background there. Yeah, um, there is. Yeah, so your nickname, obviously Punter. You've you've been into to to dogs. That's is that your main? Is that your poison in terms of what you like to punt on the most? Is it the dogs? Yeah, it is. Um, I've got a lot more expertise in that field than I have uh, with the with the uh, the thoroughbreds. Normally, with the with the dogs, someone can just ask me for a tip, and I'll have enough knowledge of what's going on somewhere around the country to be able to find a reasonable a reasonable tip. But with the uh, with the thoroughbreds, I'm I'm always relying on someone else's mail to, to pass on for a tip. So, um, yeah, look, I've I've owned and and raced greyhounds for uh, 25 years, I guess. So I'm still doing it to, to this day. My father raced them, my grandfather raced them. So I sort of grew up with greyhounds in the family and around the family as pets and stuff as a young bloke. So it's uh, very much uh, part of me. That's for sure. Where Tom and I are actually interested in getting our own dish liquor. We've talked about it for a couple of years now. What would you advise in terms of, of picking a good dog, a good pooch? Is there something that, you know, the untrained eye is not going to pick up? Not really, because normally they're, they're sold <laughs> off at about the age of about three months old. And they're, they're only about a foot and a half long and about, about a foot off the ground. So if you're trying to make a judgment on buying a puppet, Three months of age. Um, no, it's it's it is really a bit of potluck there. But obviously, like anything, like the horses as well, you can you can look back through their breeding, and you know, obviously, the better bred they are, uh, the more the better chance you've got of having some success. But you know, when you are breeding them as well, I mean, if you want to get if you're looking at buying a pup, and there's just a bit a bit of advice for you guys, you might be better off buying three the first time around and then, and sort of spreading your luck out, spending a little bit more, but giving yourself a bit, bit better chance of success. Okay. Would you ever be interested in, and obviously you can say no, in like a syndicate between obviously us and yourself? Let's do it. Okay. Let's right. do it. Look. That's on camera though. So we will obviously, we're yeah, going to follow I'm going to follow that up because yeah. none of this has been a joke. We've been wanting to buy a pooch for a long time. <laughs> You've just offered. And uh, he's, and he's talked yeah, us into three I, dogs. I and I'm, I, I'm being serious. I'm being serious as well. I'm, I, I breed every, pretty much every year, every couple of years. So the next time I've got a litter on the ground, then I'll make sure we, we'll, uh, 
We'll get you guys involved in one. Perfect. That's, that, that is a lot. One hundred percent. Um, do we? I'll have a char- I'll have a charge because I've lost two tosses in a row. But <laughs> that's all right. I'll Look, if we off. if we beat you five nil, it's we get them for free. I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you get a free carry. Yeah, yeah. But I will say this: if there's one man that can overcharge me, it's you. So, oh, absolutely, you know, absolutely. No there. All right. Well, let's get on to the pinnacle, Dave. If you could come over and and pour a couple. Uh, now this is the Shiraz. Yep, it is. It is. No, I'm actually going to have some of this one as well. Beautiful. Love that. Eddie, let's do a palate cleanser. We've got a palate cleanser here. We don't want to be taking this seriously. Just Thank got you, the Dad. palate cleanser in there, Ricky. We didn't yeah. want to, uh, we wanted to have the, the Sav Blanc um, out of the, the taste. But, oh, Dave, you're getting it on the table. Sorry, Ricky. This is embarrassing. Our, um, our waiter is. He's hopeless, hopeless mate. Yeah, he's going to be sacked as soon as the as soon as you are uh, you leave. Um, so give us a little bit of a of a spiel on this one, mate. Uh, so Pinnacle Shiraz, this is a McLaren Vale, where our uh, very esteemed winemaker Ben Riggs is based. So he's got a pretty good understanding and idea of how, how to make a a McLaren Vale Shiraz. Yep. Um, the, so, and the, the name, the pinnacle. So as I said at the start, we're trying to tell some story and t- talk a bit about cricket and um, and it's a pretty appropriate time to be talking about this actually because the Ashes series is only a couple of weeks away. So when I refer to the pinnacle, that's what I, re- I talk about. I talk about Ashes cricket. As far as I'm concerned, um, Ashes cricket is the pinnacle of our sport, not just the battles between Australia and England. But I think if you look back um, – on the world game, if there's one thing that people would probably most talk about, it'd probably be talk about an, an Ashes series, you know, 150-year rivalry, um, and, and it has sort of swung and ebbed and flowed both ways through the through the years and through the generations. So, uh, and to, to this day, there's only one thing I miss from actually playing the game, and that's that's playing an Ashes test match. So if I could have one game all over again, it'd, it'd absolutely be an Ashes test match and probably at the MCG. So... That's where that uh, that's where that pinnacle name comes from. Um, as you guys said, you know a bit about wine drinkers, so you'll, you'll probably you'll be able to taste there the difference between a McLaren Vale Shiraz and a Barossa Shiraz. This is a bit of a not quite as big and hard and heavy. It yeah, doesn't I was about hit to your say, back yeah, and throat yeah, like a Barossa does. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, definitely it's, lighter. It's a lot lighter, but a lot smoother. It's delicious. It's unbelievable. So I mean, while we've got we're, we're talking ashes, the squad was released yesterday. Um, what are your thoughts on it? I guess, to my understanding, uh, everyone said that um, Marcus Harris will be, he's sort of already been anointed as going to be uh, at the top of the order with Dave. Is that sort of then just leaving the, uh, the, the fifth position between Usman and Travis Head uh, up for debate, really? Is that sort of where it is? And, and if that is the case, where do you see, who do you see getting the spot? Yeah, I think it's, um, I think... Even just listening to some of the commentary yesterday, I think Marcus Harris was actually told a few weeks ago that he was going to be the opener um, with the unfortunate circumstances again around um, Will Pukowski and yeah. suffering, I think, his 11th concussion. He's missed the last couple of Sheffield Shield games to Victoria, which pretty much rules him out of selection for the first test. So Marcus Harris will open. Yeah, and it definitely will come down to Travis Head or Usman Kawaja for that number five slot. Um, look, my logic with, with that, I think, it's a pretty big deal, I reckon, for the selectors to go back on someone like Kawaja, who's in his mid-30s, who's not been around the test team for the last couple of years. Um, it would seem strange to me that they would make a call like that and then not playing in the in the first test. So I think, and he's been in sensational form at the start of the Sheffield Shield season. So 
I'm leaning towards Kawaja playing and batting at number five. Um, and it, there might even be a little bit of competition for one of the fast bowling slots as well with um, Jai Richardson bowling as well as he is at the moment. He's been included in the squad. Uh, Mitchell Starks, um, certainly his, his form in the last few T20 games was a little bit off. Um, but if there's conditions that will suit someone like Mitchell Stark, it is going to be Brisbane and obviously going to be the second test in Adelaide with the pink ball where he absolutely excels. So, you know, Payne will obviously be the captain. Nathan Lyon will be the off spinner. Uh, Warner will open with Harris. Labashane three, Smith four. And as I said, I'm pretty sure Kawaja will get that five slot. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that makes sense to us. Yeah. What, it, when on Pukowski, do you have anything much to do with him? And with someone in his position, obviously a young kid, he's, now he's played test cricket, but he's got, obviously he's had these head knocks. Do you have a word to him and try and like give him some words of advice? Is, is it a technique issue that he keeps getting hit in the head? Is it that like you've got a helmet so you're a little less concerned about it? Is, it, is he just sort of an outlier in this situation? Uh, look, to be honest, I, I think he's a bit of an outlier. I think you know a lot of guys. A lot of guys get hit in the head, but because he's had so many bad concussions earlier in his career, pretty much every time he gets a little uh, hit on the head now, it's a pretty serious concussion that he suffers. So, um, but saying that, I mean the fact that he's had eleven concussions is is you know there's there's got to be something technically wrong there somewhere as well. Mm. Um, and I have look. I've caught up with him a couple of times. He's, he lives here in in Melbourne, where I live. Obviously, he's, he's managed by the same management group as me. And I, so I've had a few conversations with him. But you know, it's it's not for me to try and get involved in anything like that. It's pretty. It's a pretty delicate situation. I think that he finds himself in, and probably that cricket Australia find themselves in as well. Um, so we. I was only saying this yesterday to a few people. I, I just I go to bed every night, just crossing my fingers and hoping that I wake up the next day and then he's that he's okay and he's going to be back playing for Victoria again and he he gets a chance to play for Australia again because that one test he did play at the SCG, he, he absolutely looked at home. You know he's he's been talked about as as being significantly better than any of the other young players we've got coming through in Australia and. Um, you know, we, we don't want to miss out on, on that talent, getting an opportunity to play. But first and foremost, we've got to look after his health and hope that he's he's healthy enough to, to get back playing for Victoria again. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed for the Balkan Bulldog. But, Ricky, I just want to get your opinion on something. So if I run an eye over the current test setup, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of uh, sort of wax chess and a lot of lacking body hair. I mean, we've got a proud history as a nation of having the big mo the big chest hair, the hairy arms, like you've got the, the, the thickest, hairiest forearms in arguably world sport. And I just wonder if we're missing a bit of a trick there with these young pups that have got, yeah. you know, no are, hair on the body. Are you say. conflicted seeing some of the, the next generation of smooth bodied sort mm. of, you know, watch endorsements, blue eyed sort of cricketers? Are you like, what the fuck's going on here? Where's the, where's the arm? Have hair? we lost our way? Yeah, well, don't, let's not forget, we've still got Glenn Maxwell and those sort of guys around the team as well. I mean, and he is, you guys talk about my hairy forearms. He's, he's got mine covered quite easily. So, <laughs> And the reason I wore this long sleeve jumper today was so mine weren't sort of standing out on camera. So, oh, please. That'll, um, mate, we'll get, no, get 100,000 more views I if those forearms with, are out, Ricky. Yeah. I, I play with a few of those boys that you're talking about that, that couldn't walk through the change rooms, with, uh, uh, toilets in the change rooms without having a look at themselves in the mirror. Um, <laughs> couple of blonde guys that sort of spring to mind. Brett Lee didn't mind having a bit of a look at himself and, and Shane Watson wasn't wasn't far behind him. They actually they generally shared the hand basin together before we took the, the day's play, sort of slicking the hair back and putting a bit of gel in. So um no, look I've, I play with a few of those boys, but there's no doubt that 
you know, there's no there's no David Boone's and Merv Hughes in this current squad of players, that's for sure. No, no there's no. not. And that's what worries me. That's the only concern we have. Otherwise, I, thought, well, I think we're good to go. I think yeah. we're looking at five nil. It's just it's the body hair, and I I don't know where I sit. <laughs> They've with got it. Gillette sponsorships, and she's like, I don't yeah. know. I just yeah. let's let it grow. Men out. used to be men, Tom. Yeah, men used to be men, and it seems like bring that's back the, bring back the mo. Yeah, bring exactly. back the mo. I get that's the Mitchell it. Johnson mustache back again. That's it, Ricky. In all honesty, though, what do you? How do you think our fortunes are looking for this upcoming Ashes series? Tom and I are pretty bullish on five nil. How do you see it? Um, I actually heard Glenn McGrath say the other day he thought it was going to be seven nil. <laughs> um, he's always the one that comes out with these outrageous predictions. But um, no, look, I think I think Australia, I think Australia will win. I've just got a feeling it might be a little bit closer than what everyone is suggesting. Um, you know, England have definitely got a few, you know, big holes in their team. Can they take twenty wickets a Test match with Anderson and Broad? You know, at the back end of their careers. Uh, are their spinners going to be good enough to have an impact on the, you know, in, in Sydney and Melbourne the last couple of days? Uh, is their top order batting um, technique, technically wise? Are they going to be good enough? But I think we had we asked all these questions last summer as well, didn't we? Of the Indian team, especially after Coley left and they got bowled out for thirty six in Adelaide, it was like, oh, here we go, Australia going to win this five nil, and we all know what happened there. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's going to be maybe quite as easy as as everyone has sort of suggests. And, and you know what, to be honest, I'm like, oh, I would love to see Australia win 5-0 um, because I'm with my, you know, ex-players and ex-captains hat on. But as a commentator now and someone that just loves watching an Ashes contest, I, I hope it is a lot closer. I hope it's a real, you know, fair dinkum, hardcore Ashes battle because that's, that's what I'd love to see. Yeah. We haven't had that in Australia for a while. Well, we're just used to 5-0 whitewashers, Eddie. 5-0s, <laughs> 4 nils, 5 Yeah, nils. yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um. One to, back on just to the selection side of things. Off the back of the T Twenty uh, World Cup win, there was a bit of a yarn. Like again, it was only for like a couple of days because the Test squad was announced so quickly. But there was a lot of sort of heat on Mitch Marsh after the way he performed. He's picked an Australia A side. Do you think he's any chance, or is he is Cam Green sort of got that all rounder spot locked up? Very good question, actually, because I, I actually thought they could have played both of them together. I thought they could have played Marsh and Cam Green in the same team, just on the back of um, Marsh's batting form at the moment. Don't worry about his bowling. They've mm. got Green there to do the, the, the all-rounders bowling side of things. But everything I heard coming out of the UAE was how Mitch has been, you know, he's in career best form. I know he's only been playing short-form cricket for you know, the last few months. And even his prep, I, I listened to an interview before he went over to the World Cup and he basically said then all that he's been doing is concentrating on hitting, hitting sixes in any, any game that he's played in any training session. He's just been going, turning up and trying to hit bombs every day. And in, in, in fact, actually pulled himself out of the Sheffield Shield game just before they left to go to the World Cup. So he didn't want to get, you know, his, his preparation sort of confused a little bit. But um, we also shouldn't forget that he actually played the last Ashes test. He played the last test uh, at the Oval uh, in 2019 and actually took five wickets in that game. And then, and without break, punching the, cha- the dressing room uh, door in Perth at the start of last summer, he would have been in the test team at the start of last summer and probably played all those tests against India. So you can put up a pretty good case as to why at least he could have been in the squad. It didn't make much sense to have Kawaja and Head, two left-handers, both quite similar players. Maybe they could have one of those and Mitch Marsh and then you know, make the decision closer to the game on, on which one's batting better going in. So it sounds like would you if if you were making that call, you you would have had Mitch, do you reckon, in this in this first for this first test? Would you have had him at five? 
I would have had him in the squad, yeah, hundred um, percent. And at least if they had him in the squad, um, they they could have. I know, as I said, he's been working only on his T Twenty cricket, but that's that's professional cricket now. You've, you've got to switch from one format to the other really quickly, anyway. And I think he's talented enough. The fact that he's pretty much just won Australia a World Cup, he's not ever going to get more confident than he is right now. Mm. Um, and I think he he's got the talent to a bit to be able to switch over from one format to the other. So I would have had him in the squad just to see what's what he can do uh, in the nets against those boys of the Red Bull. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense to me. I'd take that. I'd take that. Mate, he won the World Cup. Yeah. Pretty good form line. I like Mitch. I'm I'm a, a, we're we're Mitch fans here. Swamp Junior Junior. Well, that's the, other, that's, the, actually, that's the other part of this as well, boys, is that everyone in the team loves him. So to have someone like that around, like he's an infection, he's got a great attitude, you know, big, uh, happy sort of character around the team. And I think that's why you saw everyone rush onto the field at the end of that T20 World Cup because everyone was just so thrilled that it was Mitch that was doing it. You know, he's been maligned over his career and, uh, to come back the way that he did and, and win a World Cup. And you can see his mates run out and pick him up and carry him around. It, it, they were all pretty happy for him. And you, you saw that in the, the the Amazon series, the test as well, where I think at one point in one of the scenes, he sort of said, look, I'm going to be going for a walk every day to get a coffee. You can come with me if you don't, if you want. If you don't want to, all good. But, like, if you need to sort of just get away, I'm there. And I was like, when I saw that, I was like, oh, he just seems like an absolute legend of a bloke. Is that yeah, why he's, he's a ripper. Because he, he's been talked about before for like potential Australian captain. Was he a he? vice captain once? Sorry, I mean this is uh, it's not part of the interview. I, I think he, he was. Actually. He was vice yeah, captain. He, he was, before. and that was, and that, that was actually voted by the team. I know that, that Justin and the hierarchy around the team. At the time it was, it was straight after South Africa, straight after the Sandpaper Gate thing when um, Tim Payne got obviously voted as captain. I think it was was Mitch it was Mitch Marsh and Travis Head maybe. It might have yeah. been, I think, that got voted in as dual vice captains at that, at that particular time. Now, neither of them are in the team. So, um, That's unfortunate. Yeah, maybe there's something that comes with who's, the vice captain of Australia. Who's the next skipper? Oh, I think it's Pat. I think Pat's um, going to do it. Um, you know, I think there'll be some probably some chat around whether it should be Smith going back into that role for the last few years of his career. Um, that'll probably come down to whether... You know, one if Stephen wants to actually go back and do that again, or if he just wants to finish his career as a as a player, um, it might also be what Cricket Australia think is right and what the what the public actually believe is the right thing to do. Whether the public would actually allow him to, to come back and captain Australia again is an, is another is another conversation. So, but I think right now, I think you know, Pat, he's he's a terrific guy. Obviously, on top of his game, um, presents himself really well. Really, really well respected by the public and by all the players, most importantly. And um, I think he'd do a good job if he actually does take it on. There's a lot of chat around whether or not a fast bowler could captain the side. Do you reckon that's all bullshit? Like, at the end of the day, does it matter? Um, it's never really. We haven't been too many teams where it's worked. And probably through the years, or through the ages, there probably haven't been too many um, fast bowlers that have been captains of their countries. But... I think with the right the right vice captain around him, then there's absolutely no reason why it couldn't work. I think where it where it gets a bit confusing, I reckon, with the with the fast bowlers is, you know, and there's a couple of occasions last summer where Pat bowled six, eight, ten over spells because the captain was making him <laughs> and it was the right thing for the team at the time. But if he's if he's the captain and he's probably he's getting a bit tired and a bit weary, he's probably looking around at someone else. I'm not saying that he's trying to shirk the issue or whatever, but He's probably looking around thinking, oh, there might be someone else that's better to do this than me right now because the way that I'm feeling when deep down the team just need him to keep pushing on. So that's why I think if he is the captain, it just needs the right vice captain there underneath him um, to help him through as well.
Yeah, right. Because I mean, you don't want to be going like I don't know whether the feeling would be like, do is it coming across that I'm just bowling myself because I'm skipper when really I should also be like, you know, um, in terms of being a captain though, like, what's the pressure like for you? Was it was it something that that maybe you got it got easier? But like when you were first brought in as captain, is that pressure overwhelming? Like as Australians, it's like. Is it the second thing after the Prime Minister the or the Prime Minister's second it's after? It's the second most important job after the Prime Minister. You could argue more It's important. more important, I yeah. would say. But, yeah, what is that like? And how quickly are you, do you get comfortable with it or do you never get comfortable with it? Yeah, it's, a, it's a, once again, another interesting question because I actually think it, I think it gets harder. I think, when you, I think when you come into the job, there's probably less expectation on you as a new captain as there is that's a performed captain and the country expects you to keep winning all the time. Yeah, um, and I think there's a it's there's a bit of a honeymoon period I think that goes with it as well where you're just enjoying it all so much and whatever comes in front of you you just accept and take on and and you're learning all the time about your teammates and what little ways to make them better and improve them as individual players and I think even the way that you talk to the team you know and 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 present yourself to the team the more you've done that if you've done that for three or four years then you can understand that that side of actually gets a bit harder as well you've got to you know, keep reinventing yourself as a leader almost series by series. So I think the longer you stay there, the harder it is. Um, I, I actually think there's a – I'm a great believer in this in, in most leadership roles, in not only in sport but in business as well. I think there's a shelf life for, for leaders um, for that fact. I think it just gets harder and harder to keep um, recreating and, and reinventing yourself year on year. Was there ever a point where you were like – where like, cause you know, obviously like if the media start getting on you, was there ever a point where you're like, fuck this, you know what I mean? Like to what you're like, it got a little bit overwhelming or like it got too much. Yeah. When we lost the 2005 Ashes, it probably wasn't the easiest time of my career to deal with. <laughs> and I was only a couple of years into the job at that stage. So I was, you know, when over in England and the team not performing as well as we could. And then we eventually lost the Ashes at the Oval. It was like, oh, okay, this is, this is what captaining Australia is all about. Because before that, you know, I'd come into the, the one day the team in 2003 and captained that to a World Cup win only a few months after I got the captaincy and the start of the test captaincy went quite smoothly as well with a, a pretty good team that I took over. And then, yeah, I found out what captaincy and leadership was all about when we lost in 05. But, um, you know, we, luckily we were able to bounce back in 06, 07 and, and uh, the, the ship sort of uh, righted itself for a while. Yeah, we've forgotten about 2005. I think as a nation. Yeah, we've absolutely. We just, just put a complete line No, through. no, no. I went from 2003 to 2006, basically, That's just right. in my life. That's um, right. Should we look at the 127? I song? think we go the 127, the Barossa Shiraz. And whilst we get Dave out here, I think we also get to give Ricky another shot at a coin toss because it's been a nightmare for him so far. Yeah, we better, we better actually. It's game over for me. He's not going to win this one. Yeah, this is series deciding. Sorry to do it to you. It is. Um, all right, well... As Dave's getting it ready, we'll get you to call it in the air, Ricky. Ooh. Heads. Yeah, it's a head. It's a heads. He's it's back. Head. He's back. There we go. 2-1. All right. Right, I'll start, I'll go, I'll start giving some proper answers now. I've been a bit flat <laughs> the last half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the one two seven Barossa Shiraz. Um, what can the punters and the dribblers, who that's, yeah, our, that's audience, our, our audience, is the punters and the dribblers. That's that the collective the... for them. <laughs> What can they expect? Yeah, well, the, well, they might not notice much difference between the, the Pinnacle Shiraz, McLaren Vale, and this particular one. But um, <laughs> for the not so educated, I guess, Barossa Shiraz is normally, um, uh, what would you say, a lot more intrusive. It's a lot bigger. Normally, you'll taste it and it'll smell, feel really smooth at the start. Then 
it'll hit you right at the back of the throat with a bit of an aftertaste at the end. They're generally bigger, heavier um, Shirazes. This one we've tried to put with Ben and, and my sort of input into this wine, we've tried to sort of create a more modern, if you like, modern take or a more elegant sort of take on a Barossa Shiraz. So this one isn't anywhere near as big as some of the others that you'll taste from that region. It is a lot smoother and, as I said, um, more elegant. As far as I'm concerned, and I know this the price point on this wine is a little bit different than the Pinnacle, but um, this is actually my favourite wine in the entire range. It's um, it, it's it's really, really good. Yeah, um, it's lovely. Now, the name of it, going back to the storytelling stuff again, um, this is part of what, we get, what we're going to call the milestone range. So this will sit above uh, the Pinnacle and the first session price-wise, so it'll be another tier up. Um, and this one, the 127, actually talks about my first uh, Test 100, and it was an Ashes 100 at Headingley in 1997. Um, yeah, so 127, um, shared a 300-and-something run partnership with Matthew Elliott, um, and it ended up being a, a winning Test match. So, um, yeah, that's this will be this is the first one in that milestone range, and we'll, we'll add a, another couple probably, another couple of milestones um, in the next vintage next year. What's the first Test 100 like? Like when you take the helmet off, when you raise the bat, did you did you have did you have the goatee at that stage as well? Which I think you should bring back personally. Did you have the goatee when you got your first Test hundred, or was that when you almost got the ton and you got out on like ninety eight? Sorry to bring that up. No, you know what? I reckon I might have. I reckon I might have had the goatee in ninety seven. I definitely did in on debut. Um, yeah, when I made when I made ninety six in Perth, I definitely had the goatee then. Um, and I, it was, I'm pretty sure I did in 97 because I remember at the start of the tour, I had the goatee. And I said to Matty Elliott, um, if you get 100 at all in the series, I'll keep it on. You got 100 in the first test or something, or first or second test at, at Lords. And um, so there I was stuck with it, remaining for the, the remainder of the Ashes series. So I wasn't, I actually wasn't in the team at the start of that tour. Um, I missed the first couple of games and then came in for that test match at Headingley actually to, to replace Michael Bevan. So I had to if if I hadn't have had that bet with Matthew Elliott, I would have gone in as a fresh faced, uh, cleanly shaven young lad from Tasmania. But no, I went in with the uh, the Mowbray Eagles goatee look um, for that, my first Test match back in the team. You could also make the argument, and I'll make it, that you might have been picked on the goatee. Goatee alone, like Bevan's out. Who we got? Punters there. Got the mo. <laughs> He's got the goatee there. You got the goatee. Let's right. get him in. Let's get him in. Let's give him a crack. I think that makes sense. I know, sense. you would have picked me. What you, had to say, what you had to say earlier on, I would have been first picked in your team if that's nice. the case. You'd be oh, first 100%. picked in every team. That 100%. What, so what, uh, I imagine a great deal of relief when you get your first test ton as well as like satisfaction, but is it something that's like, you? Can't, I mean, you got, so, you got so close in Perth, um, you assume you're going to get it at some point, but it must be quite a relief when you finally do. Also in England, in an Ashes. Yeah, I mean, I had been... Close a few times before, you know, first, as I said, that first uh, first game in Perth, 96 there. I, I got 88 against the West Indies as well, I think a couple of seasons before this test match we're talking about here at, at, at Headingley. So, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, I always had great faith in the talent that I had and great faith in my ability. But when you've played, you know, five, six, seven test matches and you haven't got 100 yet, then, you know, the doubts do start creeping in a little bit. Um, and it probably helped with that one that I that – I, you know, I wasn't in the team. That was my first crack back at it again. So, you know, I wanted to make sure when I got my next chance that I was that I was ready, and I and I grabbed that opportunity with both hands. And uh, thankfully, I did that day. So there is a fair bit of relief that comes with it. I remember Matthew Hayden saying, I think at the time, Matty Hayden had scored twenty odd 
first class hundreds for Queensland and he, he scored a lot of runs in county cricket, but they hadn't made a test hundred. Then he finally got his first test hundred and he said, Oh, now I actually now I actually believe that I can do it. And I thought, it can't be that much different. Like from 20 odd first class hundreds, he dominated you know first class cricket in, in Australia for you know four or five seasons. I'm thinking, sitting back thinking, no, nah, it can't be that much different, Hayos. What are you, what are you talking about? But you know, when you put yourself in that situation, it, it is a little bit different. So uh, yeah, certainly a bit of a, a monkey off the back when you get your first one. Did you ever think that you'd score 40 more? <laughs> Which is outrageous. Yeah, well, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure how long I was going to play for. I mean, you have to play for a long time, don't you, for that to happen. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, well, yeah, I mean, through the, through the middle of my career when I started to find a bit more consistency and, you know, even when the captaincy came along and, and my move up to number three, a lot of things sort of happened for me at exactly the right time, even meeting, meeting Rihanna, meeting my wife and stuff. All the sort of stars started to align, and it was when I was sort of coming into my my, my prime, I guess, as a player. And and the one thing we're all all of us were doing back then, everyone was chasing Sachin. That's all we were doing. Like Lara and myself and Callis and Sangakara and these guys, we Sachin had set the the bar so high that we were just setting sail out after him and trying to trying to catch him. And I I remember it towards the you know maybe towards the back end of my career, somewhere two or three years to go in my career. I was only, I was only a couple of hundreds behind him. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to get him here. I'm going to get him. And when I started saying that, I got further and further away. He kicked, he kicked, it was like he found another gear in the home straight and left me four or five lengths behind. So, um, yeah. So it looked 41 test match hundreds. I've got to, I've got to be pretty happy with that, I guess, at, at the end of the day. Absolutely you do. I play a 2020 comp every Sunday, Ricky, and I'm at nine fifties, which is a hundred in the tournament. So I can understand what it's like to score a bulk of runs for your team. Uh, not a country at this point, but there are actually international <laughs> tournaments. I don't know. Um, well, 32 to go, mate. Well, exactly. Not far off. Um, you were just talking about, you know, Sachin and, and Brian Lara and, and the like. Obviously now with players playing, you know, every 2020 tournament around the world, they are, there's a lot more sort of opportunity for them to get to know each other and all that sort of stuff. Were you able to – did you have relationships with these players back then outside of um, – you know, when you'd come up against him in a test series. <laughs> hurry up, hurry up and follow your mum's son didn't get Um, did we have really yeah, we did yeah, we did. Um and you had better relationships with some more than others. Um La Brian Lara and I spent a lot of time together. I got to I got to know Brian Lara really well on my first tour, which was to the West Indies in nineteen ninety five. Once again I wasn't playing. Justin Langer and I were the two reserve players and Lara was an absolute world sensation at that stage and I got to, so I got to know him quite well there and we've got a we've got a really good strong relationship now we catch up whenever we can anywhere around the world and we've been able to play a lot of golf together and things like that so um Sachin not so much Sachin was a bit more of a clothes clothes sort of character didn't like to give too much away um and even just the Indian culture you know you never really spent much time with them in their dressing room at the end of a test match they'd be packed up and gone half an hour after the game if, even if they had one and you know, we, we would have lost the test match to them and we'd still be in the Chandra's five or six hours later. So the cultures <laughs> were slightly different. But um, And I got asked this question the other night as well with, with Ashes Cricket. I did a function with Ian Botham the other night that's out here going to be working with us on uh, Channel 7 commentary. And he was talking about the good old days where they get they sit in the change rooms together after each day's play of a test match and have half a dozen beers together every day. And I'm thinking, hang on, would in my day, we, I didn't want to talk to one of those English players until the end of the fifth test match. And if we had one or two beers together then, that was probably enough for me. So, um, yeah, things, things have changed a bit. But 
IPL IPL certainly brought a lot of these players uh, a lot closer together, uh, more so than ever. That so you're telling me that the Australians and the English should sit there and have half a dozen beers after each day's play. That's crazy. That's that like is... in the war when they have Christmas armistice, whatever. or not yeah. armistice, when they go and they kick the soccer ball at Christmas time. Yeah, exactly. Mid-test, good lord. Unbelievable. Mate, have you got a favourite Ashes memory? Like, mine's probably Amazing Adelaide. I didn't play, but I just... You didn't... Oh, I thought you... I know, I'm just... I don't know if Ricky remembers if I played <laughs> or not, but I didn't just to clear that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, you know, late up, you know, if you're up late at night, you might put Amazing Adelaide on and sort of... Well, yeah, we've got another question around that. Rip we'll, through it. Do but you have a favourite moment? You got a favourite moment? Yeah. Oh, I mean, that, yeah, the one, you bring up is pretty, the one you bring up is pretty hard to go past, isn't it? I mean, that was a pretty remarkable test match win. In fact, that, that whole summer probably ends up being my best Ashes memory. Um, j- just the way that we played. I mean, it, the, the roles were, were completely reversed. In 2005, when we went to England, we were unbeatable. You know, England couldn't compete against us. They couldn't win. Uh, sure enough, they pipped us and they won that series. And then in 06, 07, because they'd beaten us in 05, um, and there was a bit of talk around our team about some of the senior boys being past it and being a bit too old, and it was time we had to move on, and um, the exact opposite happened. So when they arrived, all the talk was about them, and um, you know, I and the other senior boys weren't having a bar of that, and we were pretty hell-bent on making sure that we um, we turn things around um, and back to the the way that things are supposed to be in Ashes series. And, um, yeah, we, we got off to a great start in Brisbane. And then when we, when we won that test match in Adelaide, I remember just saying then that there's there's no way that this team now, after what's just happened in this game, there's no way that England can actually even be competitive in one of the remaining test matches. That, that would have just absolutely crushed them. Yeah. Um- Eddie mentioned there just in the sense that Amazing Adelaide is something that everyone likes to go back on. There's YouTube clips where you can just go and sort of get stuck in. You can watch, like, there's like a three-hour recap, which yeah, is good watching. Which is nice. Are you aware of the 19-minute ode to your runouts that's on YouTube that's largely consumed between the hours of midnight to 5 a.m. by young men of our age across the nation? <laughs> Can you send me the link? <laughs> Happy to. Happy to. Happy to. And there's plenty of them. There's the no, yeah, well, one for the run out. I am aware of shots. One of my mates the other day, actually, he's, he's got a 12-year-old son that's an absolute cricket tragic. And um, it was when I was away during the IPL, actually, um, I got a message from him saying exactly the same thing. Are you aware of this run out compilation thing that's out there that you can watch? And so that was when I first found out about it. And Apparently his son just watches it on on repeat. I think over and over. So, do you ever go back we'll and watch and any of your of your greatest moments? Like, obviously not in not and like I'm being a bit facetious. Not necessarily in like a self indulgent way, but like, you know, you ever want to go back and see nostalgia just, nostal- for a nostalgic purposes? Go back and you can watch sort of an innings that you had. Yeah, I've I've actually yeah, I'm, I'm probably, people probably wouldn't think that I would do this, but I have a, in a couple. I've watched the one that we're just talking about here. That's on the front of that. Um, wine bottle that 127 so my first ever test 100 just to go back then and think about like how young I was and how naive I was and my first 100 and you know all, all that stuff and even just to watch the way that I played then compared to the way that I played in the latter my latter part of my career so just to, I've, I've done that and I've looked at I've looked at the um world cup innings in 03 world cup final as well I've looked at that one a couple of times um 
only in quarantine. I've never had it on when anyone else has been around. But yeah, yeah, it's just, no. uh, when I've got a bit of quiet time in quarantine <laughs> or something, then the, lap, the, the iPad comes out yeah, for yeah. a few minutes here and there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pour your, your, having a rough day, didn't get much sleep. Yeah. You're like, you know what? I, I might Pour just... yourself a nice 127 Rossa Shiraz. Yeah, lock the office door. Lock the office door. <laughs> yeah, put the feet up. Get a cigar out. <laughs> that sounds unbelievable. Wanted to, um, well, we'll get to the close of play in just a moment. Edward. Ricky's uh, golf, golfing exploits yeah. precede him. They do. Now, I remember reading this article uh, years and years ago, but I dug it up again today. Gary Player of Nine Majors fame reckons that you picked the wrong sport and that you should have, you should have played golf instead. Is that, is that true? Are those words correct? Yeah, he did say that. Uh, to me there and then, but he'd only seen me hit two tee shots. And that's all he'd seen. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I played in a golf day that um, for the Laureus World Sports Awards, actually. We're over in, uh, I think where we were, Portugal or somewhere. Um, he was standing on one. So we were playing the golf day. He was standing on one tee. Uh, I got to the tee and it was a it was a driver hole. Um, so he sort of stood behind us all and I teed it up and uh, let one let one rip and got pretty good. And he said, he looked at me, he said, son. I said, no, he said, someone throw me another ball. Son, I want to see you do that again. So someone threw me another ball and I teed it up and went back and went bang and hit the exact same shot again. And he stopped me there. And then he said, you've most definitely chosen the wrong sport. <laughs> so, um, but he probably, he's probably said that to a million people in his lifetime. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one he said that to. He's probably anyone that's hit a good shot, golf shot in front of him. He's probably said that about them. <laughs> I'll give you um, the hot No, tip. look, it's been, as you say, it's been one of the, golf's been one of the, you know, the loves of my life. You know, I grew up with the sport. My dad was a, a very, very good player. Dad was a scratch marker at the age of 14 or 15. And, wow. Um, so I've just grown up around the game. My brother played state golf as well for Tasmania. Um my sister's won some club championships at our local club. Um, so, yeah, it's a pretty competitive environment in the Ponting household. When, when we get, all get back together in, in Tassie and we get the golf clubs out, it's, it's, it's on for young and old. Who gets the chockies, mate? Do you – that competitive streak in you, I've seen it with the coin toss. I can't imagine that you roll over and let them get the W. No, I don't roll over, um, <laughs> although – Sort of getting to the stage now. Dad's 70 now, so it's getting harder and harder for him to sort of keep up with his younger his boys. So we, we we let him win every now and then just so he, he makes them. We make sure that he buys the beers anyway yeah. when we finish. I don't know if I believe him. I, th I think I see a no mercy streak in Ricky where he just pumps dad every time. <laughs> Sorry, well, if dad mate. gets lippy, <laughs> yeah. you know. If dad gets lippy, right, <laughs> mate. Not my fault you're yeah. 70, dad. I'm sorry. <laughs> what Life you, lessons. What are you playing off these days? I'm off one these days, um, so I still, yeah, I still. I mean, I still play a lot of golf. I, I was a lot better than that when I first retired. When I first retired eight, seven or eight years ago, and sort of was able to dedicate a, a lot more time to the game. I moved to Melbourne, and I was playing at Royal Melbourne at the time. I think I got to about plus three at one stage, and um, so yeah, I've drifted out a little bit since then. And the way that I'm going as well, sort of heading inching my way towards fifty. Um, it won't be long until I'm out into those mid single figures as well. We were we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about trying to get on at Elston. Elliston. Elliston, sorry, forgive me. Have you ever played there? No, I haven't. I haven't played Elliston actually. No, I've um I've had a few opportunities too, but it's uh, living in Melbourne. It's a bit of a trip. It's a bit of a trek to get there. Where you've got to fly to, and then where you've got to drive. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm making excuses there. I think it's uh for everything I've heard, it's a 
it's a almost a once in a lifetime opportunity. It sounds like a pretty amazing place, but no, I, I haven't I haven't been there, but it's it's on the bucket list, that's for sure. Yeah, well, look, we were probably trying to. It, we're we were obviously we were ex, yeah. we were expecting basically that you had, and then you know we were going to see if you could shortball us a connect, and maybe we could get our way there. Obviously, it hasn't gone <laughs> to plan. But uh, you know, I'll start, and, with the, I'll start with the greyhound first, and then work yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, well, exactly. That sounds. But good. you know, look, if it ever comes up and you feel like bringing Tom and I, I'll tell you how I pay <laughs> you back, Ricky. I'll show you around Dubbo Golf Course, beautiful twenty-seven championship hole course. <laughs> it's in, it's an impeccable nick. I'm not sure if you've ever played it, but I can. My old man's a member there, so oh, I, can, I can pull a few strings. Yeah, there we go. You'll yeah. pay for his uh, good just, fees, right? We'll yeah. get you a cart. I just said then it was a bit of a trek to get to uh, to Ellison. It might be a bit of a more of a trek to get to Dubbo. No, I'll drive down and I'll pick you up, mate. That's, that's not a problem. <laughs> um, should we get to the uh, the final? What is the close of play? Close of play, Tom. Which is a cab sav, I believe. Um, and we'll get our, our butler, Dave, back here, who's hopefully he hasn't been drinking on the job. Uh, oh, you forgot the wine glasses. You have been drinking on the job, haven't you? Well, let's go. Is this coin toss number four? This is. This is it's where two it's 2-1. Two, one. Ricky, one. here we go. Yeah, Heads. Oh, we're Ooh. on the ground. We're on the ground. Oh, he's gone heads, heads. again. He's two got all. it. It's too all. Oh, you wouldn't read about it. You Jesus. Would, you would not read about it. <laughs> this is tough, Eddie. This is this tough. This is tough. We had it sewn up. Man, we I thought it was 3-0. I well, it was, it was I mean, nice. it was 1-0. We didn't need to give him the extra one. We're too nice. Well, but it's it's fair though. It is fair. It it's is an fair. Ash's year. Ash is coming up. It's good. Talk, it's good vibes. I talked this into I into yourself for the trap, boys. Look out. Okay, so is this a cab sav? That's right. It's a cab sav. Perfect. The from, close of cab right? sav, and from a it's a it's from a slightly different region. This one as well. Once again, South Australia. Yep. Um, but but from Langhorn Creek, which okay. I must admit, going into this venture, um, when Ben Riggs, uh, the, our winemaker, suggested that we should. Have a cab sav in the range from Langon Creek. I'm like, hang on, um, now why why not the Barossa? Why not? Uh, you know, why are we going there? He said, no, look, just trust me. This is one of the most unrecognised, uh, I guess, um, fine wine growing regions in the world, let alone in Australia. And he said, we'll, we'll come up with some a magnificent cab sav out of out of um, Langhorn Creek, which is what he's been able to achieve with this wine. This wine's actually won four gold medals at four different international wine shows around the world in the last. Wow. 18 months, so uh, New York, London, yeah. So it's um it's done, it has done exceptionally. Well, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sleeper as well because even even me, I must admit, I'm not a I'm not a huge cab sav drinker. Um, I'm more of a, a Pinot and a Shiraz sort of guy, more rather than I wouldn't ever go to a cab sav as my first choice. But getting to learn more about about um, certainly the region and and how good the the cab sav is out of that area, then it's um. Yeah, it's a it's a very drinkable, nice wine, one that you want to come back to. Yeah, it's very it's very drinkable. It's nice. It's yeah, it is. It's very nice. In terms it's of different. The, it is different. It's a bit different, different than the Shiraz, yeah. that's for sure. In yeah. terms of the process with with all of these wines, like from I guess let's make a cab sav to this is the cab sav we're going with. How much of the what's the process like? How many, how much of it is the taste? Like how many times you're tasting it? What's the you know do you give notes like change this, change that? How advanced is your palate? To know what to sort of ask for. Yeah, so that that's actually been a really enjoyable part of this whole process. Like as I said, with the story that we're trying to tell through the brand, there's two Tasmanian wines in the brand. So we've got a Pinot Noir and a Chardonnay, which are both out of northern Tasmania, actually only 10 minutes from where I grew up. And that was that we went to that region because I wanted to have that heritage and where I grew up and a bit of a background and and talk about um in my, in my early days in Tassie. So 
And with those particular wines there, um, because Ben is based in South Australia, he's not a real expert on on, on wines from northern Tasmania. And Rana and I um, wanted to make sure that we had what we wanted most out of those wines from Tassie. We left the South Australian stuff up to Ben because he, <laughs> I wasn't going to get involved with someone that's been making wine for 40 odd years in McLaren Vale. So that was, we just had to fully trust him there. But we got heavily involved in the, the tasting and the blending of the Tasmanian wines, which was just so much fun. And, and we learned so much through the whole exercise that, um, you know, we, we, we now can talk about what we want and what we can taste and what we can smell. And um, and the, the blending part of it was was awesome. So to the start, the product that we started with in Tassie, um, to, compared to what it finished with, once we'd actually done that and had the input and done the blending was was chalk and cheese. And, and I know Rihanna, especially with the Chardonnay, when we, when we first got the Chardonnay, it wasn't anywhere near what the style of sort of Chardonnay that she likes. She likes a big, heavy, oaky sort of, um, Chardonnay, and that mm. certainly wasn't what we had early doors. But we did some blending, and and then we we t- changed it a little bit, and then we left it in the bottle for six months, and it changed incredibly. So um, that side of it, learning about it all, was 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 a lot of fun. Unbelievable! It's mate, this is very 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 good stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm very impressed with it. Um, have you got any plans to sort of bring some more sort of varieties in to do? You mentioned before that you're going to have sort of a legacy. Uh, or milestone sort of brand that sits ab- ab- above top that like are you gonna have, ever go like really yeah. premium stuff in the future what are, what are your plans for ponting wines yeah absolutely so even now we've got we've got a rose in the line as well so we've got a, we've got a rose which is it's called it's called the rihanna rose actually was um she insisted that she had one in the line that was named after her uh, <laughs> well, fair enough. No, that's, that's fair not, enough that's fair enough i don't that's mind not, a rose that's not the truth we're huge rose drinkers here. here we're massive rose fans. Um, are you? Well, I'll make sure if you if you like your rosé, I'll make sure that uh, we get some sent to you because you'll, you'll be you'll be more than pleased with the with that as well. That's um that's come up exceptionally well. Um, we have so the, the actual icon of the range is is um, a hundred and twenty five dollar bottle of um, Cabernet Shiraz blend. Um, uh, it's called the three six six. It comes in a, a big green baggy green colored colored gift box with a uh, is a magnificent big bottle with a wax cap. A big 366 uh, logo, which is actually printed on a piece of, of material that's stuck on the front of the bottle, uh, in, fully embossed in gold lettering. And oh, wow. the 366 obviously is reflective of my um, my test match cap number. So when I made my test debut, I was test player number 366. And when we thought about an iconic wine in the brand, if I thought about something that was sort of most stood out most to me, it would be receiving my baggy green cap. And obviously the number that came with that was 366. So... Yeah, that's so. That's the icon of the of the range. I don't. I don't think we'll go. Uh, I don't think we'll go much bigger than that, price price point wise. Or um, and we've sort of sold those in you know gift boxes and gift packs of three and that as well, which have been pretty well received. But uh, we'll we'll concentrate on the you know we'll we we see ourselves not see ourselves. I insisted actually that we we uh, we present ourselves as a premium brand. I didn't want to just be another wine brand in the um, in the system. I wanted to stand out from everybody else and. We've tried to do that through the labelling and the storytelling, and certainly we know that the the quality of the product that we're putting out there is um, is probably we're probably over delivering, if you like, on the price point that we're at, um, which people are telling us as well. So, uh, look, so it's it's just been it's been an awesome venture so far. We're we're really proud of where we've come in a short period of time, and we've got some big dreams and visions of where we're going to go. I mean, we're, we're even in discussions now about buying our own. Um, vineyard and opening our own cellar door 
Uh, and we've got some uh, big dreams about breaking into the US, oh, sorry, the US, the UK market and even into the Indian markets in the next couple of years. If we, and if we do that, then we'll, um, we can be very proud of what we've done. Yeah, definitely. And look, obviously you say the 366 is going to be the best. I would say that depending on the way this coin toss goes, the fifth and final, you might actually have another one to add there where you've got, if you win this next coin toss, you might have a 3-2 victory over Hello Sport as also maybe another premium bottle of wine that you could offer, potentially. Something to think about. Yeah, and you'd call it 3-2. Yeah, we're, com- yeah, we're coming up. We've actually, actually got to come up with some new names in the, next, in the next few weeks, actually. So depending if I lose this 3-2, <laughs> it won't be called 3-2. If I win this 3-2, then we'll think about then we it. We might do it. Yeah. Uh, look, a couple of things just before we, uh, we let you go, if that's all right. Um, North Melbourne fan, I saw you put in your Instagram bio. I mean, obviously, you're a good on you to be so public about that. Uh, it's been a tough time, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> how's, yeah. how's that go? And and if, if Tasmania were to ever get – firstly, how you deal with being a North Melbourne fan, I'm interested to know. We're rugby league fans predominantly. But also, if Tasmania were to get an AFL team, how do you go there? What do you do? Yeah, um, I was very public about my love of the kangaroos in the mid nineties when we won those couple of flags. Yeah, it sort of quietened down a bit in the last yeah, the last twenty odd years. Um, <laughs> no, look to be honest, look it, it it's funny, and I'm sure it's the same with with you guys and your families growing up in Sydney and the, the clubs and the teams you end up following. Like um, my uncle um, played at my club, played state cricket for Tassie, and ended up playing um, cricket for Australia. So and. You can imagine as a young bloke, I, I just wanted to do everything that he was doing. And he 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 barracked for the kangaroos. My mum barracked for the kangaroos. So I barracked for the kangaroos. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the last couple of years haven't been uh, a lot of fun. I think there's a, a, there's, there is some upside coming, I reckon, in the next few years for the, there's be, for the boys there. from Arden Street. Um, yeah, we can't go any worse you than last year. Down, so there's got to be a little bit of upside there. Um, no, but, I mean, which I talked about golf being a passion earlier like I played a lot of junior footy and to be totally honest I I still love playing footy more than love playing cricket it's it's definitely in my opinion more of a the ultimate sort of team game than probably than cricket probably is um so yeah I I get to any game that I possibly can you know there's stories about when I was touring India in the you know the the mid and late 90s when you, you couldn't watch the games over there I actually had a, a contact back here in Melbourne that had the rights to all the DVDs back then. And I was getting all the DVDs of the North Games um, uh, Express posted over to my hotels in India. And I bought a DVD player from off the street and I'd sit back middle of the week without looking at any computers or finding out any scores so I could watch the game, what was seemingly live, albeit about a week and a half later. Um, yeah, so that's how passionate I was about, about the well, and still am about the kangaroos. So it's... Um, yeah, I, I love the club and um, I've always tried to do whatever I can to help out where, where possible. I think fair to say that if a Tassie team came in, he's he doesn't care. He's not care no, less. no, couldn't care less. Getting shipped DVDs over during yeah. the week. No that's one's in, no one's tuning in for yeah. that. He's not going to a Tassie team. No, that's incredible passion. It's a tough, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I think it'll eventually happen in Tassie. I think in four or five years, I think there's a really good chance that Tassie will have a their own standalone team. I, I don't think it'll be a relocated team either. I think it'll be Tassie's own and then I'm then I will have a, a pretty tough decision to make, but the, the the Tassie team might just happen to be my uh, my second team. I reckon. Second favourite. I heard a rumour, Ricky, that you're a, a Manly Seagull supporter in the rugby league. Is that true? 
No, couldn't be further from the truth. I, I live I lived south when I lived in Sydney. So <laughs> um, uh, I lived in, when I first met Rihanna, I lived in Wollongong. So I was a, a Dragons fan there for a couple of years. And then we moved up into the Shire and I was a uh, starved of AFL footy and I was ended up ended up finding myself going with a few of my mates from Cronulla going to watch the Sharks play every second week. Sharks oh, Park. So, so you've changed um, teams as well. Yeah, I, I sort of, well, you know what it's like. You live in Cronulla and you don't support Cronulla. Northies is a, pl- a tough place to survive on a Sunday <laughs> night if you don't support the Sharks. No, that's fair. That's fair. Hey, it's a Look, great point. I'm still, I'm going to stand by the fact we heard you're an ardent Manly Seagull supporter, as are we, and we'll be going out to press with the fact that Ricky really Ricky bullish, really bullish on Manly next year, yeah. going to win the comp. Ricky thinks that Manly will win the 2022 Premiership. Yeah, the captain Cut of the Seagulls, the captain of the Seagulls, Daily Cherry Evans, actually, funnily enough, a humongous Ricky Ponting fan. The Just biggest. so you know, he's the biggest Ricky Ponting fan of all time. So if you feel like coming over to the dark side, you'd be more than welcome. Well, I have met a few of the boys, actually. I met Turbo Tommy a couple of years ago in the middle of the SCG, actually. Our, our team, what's well, our team, the Australian team manager, a guy called Gavin Dovey, is the most passionate Manly Seagulls fan that you could ever imagine. Okay. I mean, when we're away, when we were away on tours, I mean, with when the Seagulls were playing or even when the Origin was on, I mean, he you could hear him on the other side of the hotel. He's literally screaming <laughs> through the windows open so everyone knew what was going on. He has... When the origin's on and he's away on tour, he actually does this, has zooms back to all of his mates and they're all watching the game together and you can hear him from down the corridor. So, um, yeah, got to meet a couple of the boys in the, in the middle of the SCG on, Tommy on Tur- his behalf. Tommy Turbo is one of the uh, – he's an all-time great and he's only about 25. He's, uh, he's on a serious trajectory, much like yourself when you were a young man. Um, we, we sent down uh, a gift for you uh, before in the lead-up to this which unfortunately, and we blame Australia Post, of which we've had some issues with, I'm sure everyone has over the pandemic. You've obviously got a baggy green of your own to represent Australia, extremely prestigious. Would argue that the gift we sent you, probably just a slightly less prestigious, but not far off, maybe equal. Could be equal. It could be equal. We've also got our own Hello Sport baggy greens, which you may be able to see in the bottom of the shot there. So... We would like to officially welcome you into the Hello Sport 11, Ricky. Um, I know you might want to take a moment to say something to, to the if audience. You look over my, well, if you look over my shoulder here, sir, I'm pointing. Here's that little cabinet there, that yep. little glass cabinet on the top of that bench. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, perfect. Oh, he's put it in, oh, has he put it in there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say he's put it in. <laughs> I don't know if he's put that one in. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Is that the Hello Sport baggy oh, green oh, or is that... Okay. Oh, wow. I put put one in there, but it's not the Hello Sport one yet. I haven't got that one yet, but that's uh, that's the Ridgy Didge. That's the Ridgy It's not the one I wore because you guys remember the one I wore was basically in tatters when I finished. That's um, my wife actually put a little gift together for me when I retirement gift, and it had um, a brand new baggy green on one end, and at the other end of the box it had mine, and it was like a storyline of a timeline of when I started until when I finished with my – and it was actually pretty reflective of me as well. Young and shiny and brushy tail at the start. And when yeah. I finished, I was worn out and had bits and pieces hanging off me everywhere. So, um, What a great gift. That's yeah, awesome. Not, That's- yeah, good, nice gift. But I, I'm not sure if you saw that cabinet that we've got out here only has the one in it that I didn't wear. The one that I wore is well and truly tucked away in a, in a safe oh, somewhere else mate, in the house. I can yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah, want that one just lying around. 
But listen, so well, it actually it actually just stinks too much. I can't leave it out in the fresh air. It just smells too much. I would lock it away. Well, when ours arrives, obviously you're now a part of the Hello Sport Eleven. It's a pleasure to have you in there. Um, there's a lot of heavy hitters in there. Peter Vlandy's obviously in yeah, the eleven as well. But um, it'd look I great. I haven't tasted the pasta. Oh. I just turned the stove off. Is that okay? <laughs> There goes the there goes the house intercom boys. Just, <laughs> just, just so you're aware, my daughter just had a taste of the pasta and it's not quite cooked yet. Okay, okay not al dente. You got a little chef on your hands. That's I nice. like that. I like that. <laughs> but I'll look, honestly, I think it'll look great in that that glass cabinet that you've got. If you want to put it in there, it's up to you. You don't have to. No, It'd you, you nice might want to put did. it in the safe. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's uh yeah, you can keep that, the Ridgey company. Yeah, exactly. But mate, look, we uh we really appreciate um you taking the time to have a chat. There's genuinely a uh, a real honor. We've uh been obviously massive fans. You've been a part of our youth growing up and watching you do the damn thing for Australia year after year. Also, not to blow any more smoke up your ass, but cl- by far and away the number one commentator now that you've moved into that, like genuinely fantastic to see what you're doing with Channel 7. Uh, you're, as I said, by far and away the best insight and translates, I think, the best to an audience who are, you know, dribblers like us who pretend we know what we're talking about and largely, you don't. know, don't know what we're talking about. Um, but, yeah, we really appreciate it, uh, you coming on, mate, and I think we probably just need to wrap it up with a, the, the fifth and final. The fifth and final coin toss. So I've I've got my uh, I've got my camera here set on so the the cursor is on leave meeting right <laughs> depending on which way this toss goes if I hear that I don't win I'm out straight away perfect <laughs> perfect all right do it comes down to this <laughs> it comes down to this final toss <laughs> there's a here lot on this. there's a lot on the line here all right let's go here Eddie all right. where's where, actually where's the, where's the waiter I want to I want to have a third judge in here to just right, in case. Dave get over it we need you as the third judge you're going to be the uh, the eyes yeah. you call it yeah you call it. And you, you, maybe you no, toss no. it. Do we get Dave to toss it? Let's go. Uh, toss it onto the ground. Impartial third party. Ricky, is Dave in there? There he is. Yeah, right. Got him. Got you, Dave. Yeah. Let's go, Dave. Heads. Ricky's called heads. Ricky's called heads. What is it? It's yeah! tails! <laughs> See you, boys. I'm out. <laughs> See you, Ricky. See you, mate. In all, in all honesty, I lost the bet. I'll make sure you get some wine sent down. I'll get some rosé down to you, boys, if that's your choice. Oh, that's you're it, a good man. Thank, Thank you very, very much. much. Cheers. Cheers, Ricky. Got it, boys. I enjoyed it. It was good fun. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks mate. mate. Good on you. Punish dribbles. That's Ricky Ponning. There you go. Um, that was fucking awesome. That was unbelievable. That was awesome. How often do you get to talk to the second best after the Don? Yeah, and how how often? Or the you, greatest Australia's greatest living cricketer. Yeah, uh, and how often do you get to dominate the greatest coin tosser of all time? Three two, that's in the history books. That can't be denied. It is what it is. Tom and I are winners. We're born winners. Obviously, Ricky's a winner, but seemingly well, not against us. He's not. No, that's right. I will say this, Tom. Ricky is one of the greatest blokes I've yeah. ever yarned to. Yeah, his wine, and this is no bullshit is unbelievable dude it's so good it's so good what are the let me get the bottles up again just so we can regale the punter and the dribble here we've got obviously with the first session which is the sav blanc which is behind us still in an ice bucket uh, just cooling staying cool just staying cool because you don't want to get warm we are getting ready to rip into it uh we've got the pinnacle shiraz the mclaren vale we've got the close of play which is a cab sav and we've got the 127 which is a barossa shiraz 
He's obviously got a shitload more as well, but these are the ones we were trying. Now, if you, uh, what's the website you go to, Eddie? Do we have that? Pontingwines.com.au. We'll double check that. Well, though. let's double check it now. Yep. It's pontingwines.com.au. Now, because we're best mates with Ricky Ponting. And maybe getting dogs together. Not maybe. No, we are. We are 100% getting dogs together. Ricky's also agreed that I drive down to Melbourne, pick him up, and we're going to play a couple of rounds at Dubbo Golf Course. Before we go to Elliston. So, I mean, we're best buds. But because we're best buds and because all of this would mean nothing if it weren't for the punter and the dribbler with whom support us yeah. wholeheartedly, we have done a deal. If you go to pontingwines.com.au and use the code dribblers, lowercase, dribblers, you will get... 20% off your order. I mean, he's given, he's given you 41 test tons. Yep. He's given you multiple World Cup wins. Correct. He's given you 19 minutes of run-out highlights on YouTube. He's given you over an hour of his time just now. Over an hour of his time now. And he, now he's given you 20% off legitimately Delightful wines. Not 5%, not 10%, not 15%, not 17 not Not 18 not 19, not 19.8. 20% off. Pontingwines.com.au, code dribblers, lowercase. Make the smartest decision you can make today. I'm not even, I'm not talking any shit. This is not hyperbole. No. The smartest decision you can make today as a punter or a dribbler is to buy his wine. And again... I liked what he was saying where he was like, I didn't just want to sort of like have a wine where it was like, I'm just another wine in the fucking, in the cool, in the fucking bottle. -o. Like from the look down to the design, to the taste, like it actually does. Everything about it is like, oh, this is actually a nice wine. Like you bring a ponting wine to a dinner, to whatever. It's like, you're actually having a nice wine here. It's not some $10 fucking horse piss that you're just trying to like, oh no, yeah, it's a fucking mate, this. don't look. Put it this way, it's Christmas this year. You want to make a statement, you know what I mean? You might be with the in-laws for the first time. You don't want to rock up with cat piss. You want to make smart Bruh, Christmas decisions. You rock up to the father-in-law's house with a bottle full of cat's piss, or do you go, oh, sorry, Ponting Wines. You know Ricky Ponting? The oh, yeah, yeah. Have you heard of Ricky? How do you bond with the fucking, with the father-in-law? You go, oi, listen, Ricky Ponting. Yeah, fucking but 41 also, test also, tons, baby. also, flip it over. Bang, why is it called 327? Why is it a Borossa Shiraz? Bang, I'll tell you why. 127. 127. That was his first debut test score. You know what I mean? Now you've got an icebreaker. Now you've got a story to tell. Now Maybe the old man loves you. First test 100. <laughs> now the old man loves you. Or the mother-in-law. Who knows? I mean, Maybe the like, grandma. Maybe the uncle. Maybe the weird cousin. It doesn't knows? matter. Ponting wines bring people together. Yep. There's no doubt about that. Families together, people together. Dribblers Strains together. together dribblers punters together. together. Once again, we must thank Ricky Ponting, who has gone. He's, I hope he can't still hear this. But I want him to know... How much we appreciate Ricky. Ricky Ponting. went the big lift. Yep. Pontingwines.com.au. Code dribblers. Lowercase. <laughs> Lowercase. Uh, shout out to Ricky. Now a dear friend. Uh, keep your eyes peeled. Obviously, that dog will be running yeah. in the next 18 months, I'd yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, shout out to Punter Power. We didn't actually talk about it, but without the punter and punters and dribblers getting in Ricky's ear and just bloody bombarding the, the poor man, mm. this wouldn't have happened. So to you, we say thank you. We salute you. We salute you with a ponting wine. That's it. Bye-bye. Bro, it's good shit. Could you two just not talk anymore? <laughs>